Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 62. In this episode, we are talking about Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Rich. Hi, how's it going? It's going, it's going. We got fall break, fall weather. Feels very appropriate to be doing this episode right now. It does. I'm wearing a pretty um, autumn shirt, too. Excellent. Know? Feeling on top of things. Yeah, I'm I'm full on like uh pajamas and like cozy uh sweatshirt and <laughs> yeah. Kids are gone. I don't have to dress for anybody. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it was it's only the children that mean you're ever wearing any clothes. This all. this is true. Yeah. I, I feel like <laughs> obligated to uh you know, wear jeans or you know, khaki pants or whatever. I would say it's probably less an obligation, more a legal requirement that you wear trousers around children. Yes. Yeah. Always, always necessary. Um, even shorts are kind of <laughs> weird in the summertime. I still, I still usually wear long pants. I think it's just like a, a teacher thing. It's because of your hot, sexy legs. <laughs> that, that could be it. That could be it. Uh, so. Pretty standard episode for today, uh, maybe a little more uh, yucking around um, since this is a, a relatively short book, but we will uh, give you some some much needed information about Shirley Jackson. We'll do a, uh, a brief summary of the book and then we will talk about it and decide where this belongs on our magical, mysterious, ethereal even bookshelf. So... First things first, Shirley Jackson, American, born in 1916, died at the ripe young age of, I think, 48 in 1965. Uh, she wrote six novels, two memoirs, over 200 short stories. Her first short story that got her um, public attention was called The Lottery, um, and it won the O. Henry Prize. Um, this book uh, was nominated for a National Book Award and uh, was listed by the New York Times Book Review as, uh, I guess, one of the best fiction pieces of 1959. Uh, do you have a summary for us? Yeah, I mean, it's a real easy summary. Uh, haunted House. Professor gets a crowd of people together to go to the Haunted House. Haunted House type things happen. <laughs> that is that's it i covered the bases yeah that's basically... the episode thanks for listening <laughs> okay uh, there's really not that much more to it than that no no not not really um so i i will say i listened to this in audiobook format because oh, we didn't have this in our library and i feel like that was the that was the right choice for me I liked the the narration. I think this style of story lends itself to being told like a like a ghost story by someone else. So I immensely enjoyed that. Yeah. So I actually I listened to this half and half, half on audiobook and half on um, you know half physical book. Okay. And the bits that I listened to in the audiobook got under my skin a really? lot more than the bits that I read myself, which is a strange, okay. you know, not something I normally have. And I, I, to be completely honest, I'm not normally, like, scared of stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't like the audiobook thing because I find it very uh, easy to multitask. 
and therefore not listen actively. Um, but I, I just like sat in my office and like laid down and just listened um, for a few hours. I, I think it took me like three or four hours because I was listening it, listening to it on uh, time and a half or time and a quarter speed. Oh, you're a madman. I can't listen to it on any of those faster speeds. I cannot be fucked to listen to things on one time when I have options to go faster. Yeah, okay. I just can't. I can't do it. It makes it all seem like Alvin and the Chipmunks are reading a story to me. Yeah. One and a quarter's good. I feel like like it's it's fast enough to... It's doable. Yeah, okay. well... I slowed it down a few times um, when a lot of things were happening or conversations just so that there was more of like a normal pace. But there was, especially early on, a lot of like sort of exposition for Eleanor. Mm -hmm. And so that part I found um, created sort of like a a different tension because it was it was quicker. Which I enjoyed. Yeah, so I, I... Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't listen to things faster than they are, but I did find the audiobook really effective. I think uh, I can't remember the name of the lady who read it on the audiobook, but okay. she was real good. Like, she put some pace on it. What I what I would say is that you're certainly right about the amount of time it takes, because when I was reading the book myself, I was burning through it. When I was yeah. listening to the audiobook, I was at work while I was doing it, and um, it certainly took a lot more time to get through a chapter on an audiobook than it did to read it physically. Yeah, it's it's weird. And I mean, different parts of your brain are are working and yeah, I I find reading much more enjoyable cuz I also like notate books and dog-ear them even though I rarely go back um unless there's something specific I want for like one of our episodes, but I I miss that sort of um, kind of active participation in in reading when I'm listening to audiobooks. Yeah, yeah, I totally get you. It is a little bit sort of, yeah, inactive, just very passive, sat there listening to nothing kind of thing. What I find too is it's just incredibly easy to, um, like, multitask, just turn off my my brain in a way that I don't with podcasts. I think it's because they're smaller, like, smaller packets of content and they have a yeah. beginning and an end. Yeah. Um, and, and at least for like, I mean, we know we're recording podcast episodes about these books. So I, I feel also like a heightened sense of awareness to pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas podcasts, like you can kind of zone in and out as, as you need to. And, you know, you don't break that sort of narrative like structure. Not not this podcast, friends. You have to listen to this. Every single second <laughs> is gold. Oh, now that feels that feels a little meta, like talking about <laughs> consuming audio formats on a podcast. But on a podcast, yeah. All right, let's get past that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's let's talk about the the book itself. Um, so, I kind of want to start at the beginning because we got a lot of like. Eleanor in the beginning so it was very clear to me that she was going to be the pivotal character although I was a little bit concerned we were going to get kind of a flavor of of everybody um that's that's what I thought was going to go down that we were going to get a little bit of everyone and we to an extent we get a little bit of the others but not really nowhere near as much as we do of Eleanor no for sure and so yeah we have we have I think a nice little bit of setup 
um, before we ever show up to um, to Hill House, and I I thought that was that was really well done. Um, a lot of times, like in the overstory, for instance, like you know, kind of a different thing. Um, but this felt very concise, very relevant. Like, yeah, I I was I thought it was great to to get that before we get the main part of the novel. Yeah, and I actually I found like Eleanor's story quite compelling too. The the part where she steals the car. Yeah. Um, I really like that. I I, I just sort of went on. There's a moment too that we should should talk about mm-hmm. later, perhaps. But okay, she bumps into an old lady. Yes. And there's this whole interaction there, and I, after I finished the book, I kind of kept thinking back to that because I was like. Is this meant to be important? What? Why is this? Why is this in the book? Basically? Yeah, yeah. And I think the old lady says something strange at the end. She says like, "I'll pray for you" or something like that, which could be yeah, you know, because Eleanor's shall we say an unreliable narrator. It could be <laughs> that she's making more of it than she needs to. Sure, yeah. It could be our kind of first hint that Eleanor's not great at this kind of stuff. I mean, she's literally right. in the middle of stealing a car at the time. So right, right. We, we know that she's not the calmest of characters, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. In retrospect, that does seem like, uh, you know, if this were a Hitchcock film or something where he would, like, pan very close to the old lady, it'd be like, you know, take care. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you know she's not going to at that point. It's that's one of the things about this book because it's so beloved and it's been around for a while. There's quite a few film adaptations. Yeah, and there's a, a TV series loosely based on it. I haven't seen any of them, so it would be really either. interesting to see how it works in other medium. You know. Yeah, actually, I take that back. I have seen a, a film adaptation of this, but when I was like in high school, maybe. Okay. And. I remember thinking that it was quite ridiculous. Um, and okay. I, I, I remember <laughs> nothing else about it. But also um, not my genre. So I, I hate watching scary movies because it's, yeah. They always seem to try to put, like, gore and, you know, like, monsters and, like, all sorts of things. And I I, I hate seeing those things, I think, on screen just because they feel gimmicky to me so i hadn't read a lot of horror before but when we read this i i read or skim read mm-hmm. Stephen king's dance macabre as well okay him like writing about horror yeah and one of the the things i thought that was sort of most interesting in that in for this book in particular like he specifically talked about this book in that uh, collection and i tried to sort of skim read what he said there because i didn't want it to influence me because yeah. there is so much analysis out there about this book. But he has a kind of level of things. So there's terror, mm-hmm. horror, and revulsion. And terror is essentially like the psychological stuff. Okay. Um, think of it as like terror is that we, we know that there's a monster outside the house. Horror is the monster's knocked on the door and we've seen it through the window or something. Okay. And then revulsion is we see the monster and it's eating our dog and it's all gore everywhere. So, would you put this one in the category of terror, then? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. And in fact, I think that the the most effective things in here, the most the, there's one bit that has just really stayed with me. Okay. It, Eleanor's lying in bed, and something's holding her hand. Oh yeah. She thinks it's Theo. Yeah. And then when she gets up, it's not Theo. Yeah. When I read that, I then had a nightmare afterwards. No. Which I am just not, you know, not super prone to. That really, really got to me. Ooh. Um, and it's so simple, you know? Yeah, that is, yeah. That's not gory. It's not horrifying. But no. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah. In, um, in its simplicity. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, holding hands is an act of, you know, comfort and, and love. And then, <laughs> yeah, to find out that's not what happened or not what it is then that completely inverts the whole the whole concept of holding hands definitely at, at what point did you start to feel eleanor was a bit off um i think when i can't remember the first sequence where she starts um she starts feeling like everybody is like judging her or out to get her like early on, you know, she's admiring Theo's um, like clothes and all that kind of stuff. And then it, it sort of builds to, you know, jealousy then. Um, and yeah, I think when those, when those things started to happen, like, especially um, like in the garden, when Theo and Luke are, are chatting and she has this like, you know, rage of, of jealousy after, um, after seeing them, it was just, yeah, I think those things were the first time that I was like, yeah, she's, she's got a, she's got a screw loose. Definitely. Yeah. There's some, there's some real odd stuff with them. I think the, uh, making up her house, um, yeah. you know, like I, I remember when I was reading and she talks about the cup, cup of stars. Yep. Yep. And I was like, cup of stars, that's fucking weird. Didn't she see a little girl drinking out of yes. a cup of stars? Yep. And then it it sort of I was like, Oh my god, she's a fantasist and this is all odd. Um but yeah, it was kind of a slow realization for me. Um quite how off the reservation she was, quite how mad she was going. Um and there's stuff with the other characters too. Like um, Luke is kind of set up as a liar and a thief from the get go. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's he's not a bad character in the actual book. No, not at all. Like I was waiting for something to happen, and it just seemed like yeah, nothing ever really did with him. No, he, he's he's just sort of there to be a male character like a foil for the doctor maybe yeah yeah um also i want to be in this house with its brandy supply there's a lot of brandy no drinking kidding. in here yeah like um there's some barrels somewhere that's uh that's good stuff. <laughs> um, just a barrel in the study they're just cracking open <laughs> like a fake bookshelf and just refilling the decanter every night Things like that. You were like, oh, God, it's so haunted here, but actually everyone's just hammered the whole time. <laughs> they're talking about how the house is built out of alignment, but really they're all just pissed. 
<laughs> that actually explains a lot. And, yeah. and the door is closing. <laughs> like, clearly they just have, like, springed hinges. Like, it's... <laughs> uh, yeah, again, there's these moments of horror, um, or terror, maybe. I, I do think they're quite effective. That stuff about how the house has been built out of alignment and they had propped all the doors open, but when... Yeah. Theo and Eleanor came for breakfast, they all slammed shut because, like, by opening one door, you close all the other doors. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, difficult to talk about Theo without touching on... One of the few things I knew about this book was mm-hmm. that Theo was supposed to be, like, this amazing representation of... Um, queerness or a lesbian character like very early on before that was normal um holy shit i really read the text looking for that i i can't really say that i found it to be like a an obvious or even there's like a very subtle talking about her friend that she's had her argument with and that she Mm -hmm. lived with beyond that I, i don't really pick up on it man i don't know whether i just didn't notice it or what yeah i i thought the same thing actually and i i knew that coming in as well and i think the way that i read it was just sort of like female companionship in the in that era right like it's it's even still it's not unusual to see you know straight women holding hands or being affectionate or anything like that. And so I, you know, the interaction between Theo and, and Eleanor, I didn't really find, uh, I didn't see anything there, I guess, without reading too far into things. So be very interested to know sort of how that, that whole conversation came about and whether that's some kind of like literary criticism or, you know, feminist reading, of this text or you know queer reading of this text i don't know um and and the conversation has evolved or if shirley jackson said something herself about the character um i wonder if it's just so subtle but it's using like images of the time that perhaps other people would have picked up on i mean famously there's all that stuff about you know (laughs) it's like oh marjorie Thunderdorp, who lived with her best friend and roommate Theodora for 73 <laughs> years. They were <laughs> inseparable. They slept in one giant bed. Yeah. They opened a business called Delicious Lube Fisty Cuffs or something. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> and we we're like, uh, and people, are, the historians are like, oh yeah, no, they were great pals. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously ridiculous, but Again, I was really, really looking in this book, and I just... But maybe I'm just stupid or just not able to see that stuff, but I just couldn't really see it. I felt it more from Eleanor to Yes, same. And then it was more this sort of desire for... There's definitely, like, everyone in the book is looking for something, and a lot of them are looking for, like, a home, particularly Eleanor and, I think, Luke are, like, the obvious ones. Yep, they're, yep. They're sort of home hunting. And Eleanor to Theo seemed much more romantically inclined than I initially thought. Like, Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Like, the, the feelings of, like, envy and sort of, like, belonging... Um, from Eleanor, I, I could see 
that much more readily than than Theo. But yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I realize that you know I'm just a caveman for for this this sort of stuff. <laughs> like it just maybe there are obvious things, or like you said, maybe there there are sort of signals of this this era that we've just you know I'm oblivious to. And I'm completely overlooking, but yeah, it just seemed like a normal, congenial friendship to me. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it. We're we're picking the red, I'm sure. But so there's there's kind of another character, you know. We've got our oh, sorry, we haven't even talked about the doctor yet. But... Yeah, what about the doctor? This is my bone to pick with this. <laughs> what about the doctor? Where's Go the fucking doctor? Like, the whole book, I feel like he is just, like, sitting in the house, waiting for things to happen. He is not really an active participant in much of anything, except for when, the you know, they're screaming about something, or, you know, he needs to rush in to, to rescue whatever. Eleanor, Theo, name your, name your thing. Or he's just sitting in the library drinking with Luke, like... And then I guess when his wife shows up, he's a little bit more present. But I, for a guy who has orchestrated this whole thing, I really expected him to be much more of a central character. And I have no idea who he is as a person after reading this. No, I think that's fair. Can I just ask, did you find, after his wife turns up... Yeah. The book to me, like there were moments before that were quite funny, but when his <laughs> wife turns up, there's like a tonal shift where yeah, yeah. it's fucking hilarious a couple yeah. of the times. Like she's she's it, a battle axe man. She just comes in and she's like, "We're doing this. How could you have not done this?" Yeah, no, she's so funny. Like, and in some ways, her the stuff that she's saying, not the mad stuff about like using the. <laughs> uh, pendulum thing or whatever, but yeah. the the bits about like why haven't you done this? I kind of feel like that. It's almost like the reader is popping in to be like, "Come on, guys, get your shit together. Let's uh, let's actually do something." Because they they didn't feel like there was a lot happening, and I just I genuinely I laughed out loud a couple of times at the stuff she was saying and doing. Yeah, um, and the guy that she brought with her, the school teacher, I can't remember his name now. Uh, Arthur Parker. Arthur. Arthur's fantastic. Yeah. Arthur's Arthur's the idea that Arthur's there, they're in a haunted house, there's spirits everywhere, and Arthur's brought a gun <laughs> is just the best <laughs> is the best thing ever. Yeah. Just shoot those ghosts, man. Get them uh, laid down. Yeah, I mean the the <laughs> fact that he is like a headmaster of a school and you know, he's taking a, a couple days off to just be in a haunted house with with his friend and he's just he's so casual about everything like he (laughs) (laughs) he just cannot be fucked with with anything that's going on she she says something about how they've upset like the psychic energy of the house yeah um and you just think like maybe she brought Arthur along because he is psychically dull as bushwater. <laughs> like there's nothing going on. It's just a wet blanket. He's wonderful. He really is. Or as as my friend recently said, a fart on a log. <laughs> <laughs> a fart on a log. The famous phrase. Yeah. Uh, 
it's not a thing. Don't don't anybody hear that and repeat fart on a log. Don't. It's not a thing. <laughs> it is a thing, guys. Make it a thing. <laughs> um, talking about like psychic energy. So the, yeah. the, there's this stuff in the house, and I do think that the house kind of plays as this this other character. Is as, as mm-hmm. cliche as it is to say, like you know, it's foreboding. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It's got this isolated feel. It's obviously in small town Hicksville because when she goes into the diner, um, that guy is like, no, what people leave, but new people never come. Right. So it's, you know, this declining area. Um, I thought it was really interesting that he says that the house is built physically kind of out of kilter. Yeah. Um, One, I, I read this, there was a comic book when I was a, kid called House of Secrets. Okay. Um, it's a DC Vertigo comic book. It's by Stephen T. Seagal. I had to look that up. Okay. And that, that, that's the first story where I really remember the the house. It was my first kind of like haunted house story, you know? Yeah. Even yeah. when it was a comic book, it used to freak me out a little bit when I was younger and I was reading it like 13, 14, 15. Um, and that kind of the house being physically off as well as being psychically off, I thought was done pretty well in this book. Yeah. And I think that's where the, the doctor was, was actually the most interesting because, you know, he sort of gave us that visual layout, um, especially where they were trying to view the, the tower from, was it Eleanor's bedroom? Like it should have been the theater. It should have been like out Theodore. there. And then he goes into this wonderful explanation of why this doesn't align and how everything is just a little bit off. A little bit off, yeah. Which is a nice kind of metaphor for the house itself. Yeah. Um, when you get to the point where you're, they find that um, it's like a scrapbook made by the guy who built the house for his daughters. Yeah. That is really fucked up, that religious scrapbook, right? Like he, very, very creepy. But also like not out of the realm of like possibility for a very religious person. To... No, and I think initially you think like maybe the house was just sort of built in a rush or out of kilter or something like that, but it becomes clearer and clearer that maybe this guy is just a weirdo who wants yeah. his daughters to grow up fearful of God and is quite capable of making a house where all the doors slam shut because of that. Yeah. That was, that was weird. Um, and, and then that was another part where you're talking about humor, where they're sitting in the drawing room and Eleanor's like, I, or it was Theo. I, I'm getting them confused now. Um, one of them was like, I can't look at these pictures. And then they're kind of calling across the room like, oh, you should see the seventh yeah. page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, true. That is how it would go with a room full of people. They're just being like, oh, but you should see this. this absolutely. Is this is anatomically correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I liked I liked that part. Yeah, I, you know, I, I got to thinking... Uh, because I recently had a conversation about H.H. H. Holmes, and so I was thinking about his uh, his murder hotel in Chicago when mm-hmm. uh, when I was when I was reading this, and then I kind of wondered, like, I was kind of always waiting for for something to pop out, you know, there to be, you know, Mrs. Dudley or something, for instance, 
dragging people off into like a dark corridor and murdering them or you know uh, there was just an element of of that suspense that I was waiting for then I was thinking about H.H. Holmes but I was a little bit um disappointed I think through probably the first like three quarters of the of the book until it became apparent what was actually happening that um there wasn't really anything jumping out to grab them right you just get all these sort of knocks and noises and then these visions and weird behavior type things all of that i found much more effective like the the knocking on the door i thought was wild the holding hand bit i thought was yeah. great the clothes i felt really i felt like i'd misread the book and i needed to go back and reread because so all four of them see the clothes covered in in like, blood yep blood mhm but then when dr montague's wife comes yeah they go in and the clothes aren't covered in blood right yep that's correct okay because i think that they play at the end with this idea that like you know is a lot of it in eleanor's head is she doing this stuff right like, things are happening you know it's like she does all these crazy things she runs up that half-finished stairs and <laughs> yeah um but obviously in the end she finds her home by joining this house and becoming part of the mythology of it yeah yep um yeah i just wasn't i wasn't really sure anymore which i suppose is the intention for like, sure what the fuck was happening <laughs> <laughs> the I think the the clothes thing um I was thinking about like when I when I went to haunted houses when I was a kid like the haunted houses themselves and the people jumping out in the you know whatever they had set up never uh like startled me or frightened me in any way because I I was just always very like sort of logically aware that this is like safe you know yeah, yeah. And uh, but the thing that freaked me out or sometimes even pissed me off, depending on uh, depending on the person, was the reaction that people had um, to this. You know, so people who would really get scared or, or freaked out, then I would <laughs> feel um, a bit of panic myself. And I kind of wonder with uh, with the clothes thing, if, you know, everybody's sort of tense already just being in the house, if then Eleanor's like hysteria didn't uh you know sort of get Theo excited and everybody else and then they see something or experience something that's not actually there. So what you're saying is you feel like it could be kind of like uh like a mass hysteria almost that Eleanor's worked them up so much that they're kind of uh seeing what they want to see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could see it. I mean this, this I love this idea of like collective like mania kind of in a, in a similar way. Like um, it was at 1938 when uh, they did the HG Wells war of the worlds broadcast and people thought that aliens were actually like invading. invading. Earth, yeah. Right. Classic. So it's, it's kind of this, yeah. Kind of this idea that like somebody sees something and then everybody else believes it, even though they themselves you know, don't see it. I'm sure that there is a there's a word for that that I don't know. Yeah, it was like mass psychosis. I don't know what we would call it, but um, yeah, 
Yeah, it, it, it's definitely... I think because I... I like this kind of thing where you can have the reading open to so many different interpretations, like maybe Eleanor's making it up, maybe they're yeah. in a haunted house, maybe Eleanor's just psychically open. One of the things that I found strange was how little... So Theo is supposed to be like the psychically open one, right? Right, yep. And Eleanor has experienced this event where she thought rocks were raining inside, which yeah. may just be the neighbors throwing rocks. Yeah. Um, but it's very clear from the start that Eleanor is the one chosen by the house, whatever reading that you, right. You want to take, right? Like yep. whether it's in her head or whether it's actually a haunted house. Why is Theo's psychicness never really brought up again? I don't know. I mean, I, I would assume for the same reason that like that, you know, Luke's thievery never really comes to light except for when he's sort of looking at the house, like, Oh, I could do this with this room. And, you know, he's sort of displaying envy or why, uh, Mrs. Montague then is, is like, Oh yeah, well there, you know, is a history of nuns and all this kind of stuff through her, yeah, yeah. <laughs> her little pendulum <laughs> thing or whatever, and yeah, so it's it's maybe it's a little bit of like misdirection in thinking that like you know these uh, this other character is going to experience something, um, or that yeah, it's, it's yeah, all kind of fake, you know, like it's pseudoscience. Yeah, definitely. There feels like there's all these elements of pseudoscience in there, the pendulum thing being one, the cold spots being another, like yeah. this. Yeah. Have you ever used a Ouija board? Oh, Christ. Maybe when I was, you know, very young. and I, Yeah. I, I don't think it ever did anything other than make us all giggle. Yeah. I've never, uh, I've never used one, but... I I probably would have gotten um, in a lot of trouble with my with my mom had she had she found one or found out she would have thought I was like devil worshiping or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. In my younger years, I definitely read some suspect stuff. I I read um, what's that dick called who wrote the Anthony? No, Anthony. He he did the whole like Church of Satan thing. Oh, I don't really think about that. Of course you don't. Of course you don't. You're a good <laughs> Christian lad. No, I mean it's just a load of tosh, basically. Okay. But it's it's um you know, it's an interesting flip reverse of some of the biblical stuff. Um my the main takeaway I remember is him banging on about evil being an anagram of live. So that's oh, the kind Christ. of level that we're at. That's okay, a, that's All the right. high. We'll do a we'll do a, a podcast on that. That's some interesting <laughs> shit. See how many weird anagrams we can uh, we can come up. with. We can find, yeah. Um, so no, I don't think with regard to this, like I really wanted it. I think to be more of a um, simple story, and in some ways, that mm-hmm. was the thing I liked the most about it is that. It felt like I was... And it happened with the HP Lovecraft stuff, too. Yeah. It felt like we were reading these things that have become archetypes since. Yeah. And so you're seeing them in their kind of original form. Um, 
with H.P. Lovecraft, that mythos, like, you know, yes. I've read a lot of kind of shared universe stuff now, but he really built that up, didn't he? And yeah. this kind of psychological horror, I mean, this feels very much like a sort of the beginning building block of that. I'm sure there are other things before this, but this is a hugely famous story and very, very well regarded. Yeah. However, I'd say like the HP Lovecraft stuff, I could, I enjoyed, I enjoyed reading it, and I, you know, I've read a few other little bits in short stories. This book, some of the internal dialogue of Eleanor, mm-hmm. God, I just found it really irritating. Like her sort of, do they like me? Will they like me? I'm jealous of this. I'm jealous of that. Yeah, I was really beginning to find that quite boring. And so when Doctor Montague's wife turned up and was hilarious. Yeah, I, I was kind. Of, I was really into <laughs> it, you know. For such a short story to find the internal monologue of one of the main characters a little bit boring is tricky, you know. For yeah. sure, I see. I did. I wasn't annoyed by that because, again, I I saw that sort of as the first signs that like, oh, she's not normal. Like something yeah. something is stirring. Um. And yeah, I wasn't quite sure at that point how how it would turn out. So yeah, I f- I found that to to actually be beneficial to the story. Okay. So yeah. I I disagree with you, sir. Oh Jesus! <laughs> it doesn't happen uh, often. No, we haven't we haven't had a, a full yeah. blow disagreement yet. We'll yeah, find yeah, it. Yeah, we we'll gotta, get we gotta manufacture an argument on this podcast. <laughs> we'll work towards it. We'll get there. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I quite like about the story was the kind of circular nature of it. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like the house the house feels kind of eternal in some ways. And yeah. her driving the car into the same tree that the other girl, you know, it has this element of it just the house gets what the house wants. Right. And whether that's just that the house wants psychologically vulnerable people searching for a home or... Or what exactly? Yeah, but there's this kind of looping, looping nature to the story, which um, you know, I I like a lot for that kind of cyclical storytelling, right? Um, well, and and also, yeah, because you had you had um, Eleanor crashing into the tree, but then also when they were talking about the history of the house, wasn't it the the wife who like made it to the tree? but not into the house or am I misremembering that there was, there was something else with that, with that tree. Um, when they were talking about the, the history. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember it all now. So they, there's the guy who makes the house and then he has his first wife who dies on her way to the house. Yeah. And, And my recollection was that she like made it to the front or something. Maybe I don't. I don't remember that correctly. So yeah, I I can't remember to be quite honest. Okay. So the the second wife comes and she dies there, and then mm-hmm. it goes to the person who like inherits the house, right? Yeah. And the younger daughter is stealing stuff from the house, or wants to steal stuff from the house, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. demands stuff from the house. Yeah, it was all a bit 
thought a bit weird. Maybe you're right. Maybe it was the first wife who hit the tree. We could probably check yeah. that. But if I type anything, it's going to sound like it's... a thunderous. <laughs> no, that's okay. We'll just uh, we'll we'll go with it. And we'll make uh, it up. somebody gets mad, they can tweet at us at Better Bookshelf yeah. and tell us we're idiots. Um, but but also please don't please don't do that. We <laughs> yeah, our egos can't take be that kind, level of uh, that kind of a hit. Yeah. Also, I don't check Twitter that often, so. um but but the other thing with like the tree and then the tower thing um with with eleanor was that i wondered also how much of her behavior um were like based on like a suggestive nature of like telling these stories about the house um and versus like genuine action so then yeah i mean at the heart of it I don't know if the house is actually haunted or if this is all just a figment of sort of her imagination and then like collective paranoia. Um, And, or if, you know, the house is actually haunted and it's, you know, oppressing um, people in, in a very, you know, general sense. But I like, I like that, um, that sort of open possibility um, and same thing, you know, when you're talking about Lovecraft, like there is still like a mystery here that is never fully explained um, yeah. in, in any yeah, way. Yeah. And I feel like so many I haven't read a lot in this in this genre, but, you know, I have have read some Stephen King now. Um, and I feel like even in his novels, like at some point there is like a revelation there. Um, is some clarity as to the cause of something, even if that is like a supernatural and and or unbelievable explanation. Um, and I like this this act of of withholding in this narrative style. It it makes it makes things more genuine in a way. There's an ambiguity to it, or which you're not going to get with quite a lot of Stephen King novels, where there is a supernatural kind of answer to the question right right yeah there's a clown in the sewer and i guess that ties into the the terror horror revulsion thing right like and weirdly i was thinking about how you know i I would always say oh i haven't read much horror but when i think back to when i was a kid i read quite a bit of stephen king i read dean Koontz. i read Mm -hmm. james herbert i read Mm -hmm. the rats yep uh, I used to read Goosebumps. Did oh, you know yeah. That oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, and those kind of things. So I think I did read a decent amount of a particular type of horror. And a lot of it, I think, falls into the revulsion thing, you know? Right. A lot of it is quite gory. Um, as I've grown older watching tv i am definitely more into terror for films i like psychological thrillers same that kind of stuff same. and this i think falls more into that category where there is that ambiguity about what's happening we're not sure quite what everyone's motivations are right you know we have this like luke set up to be not the best guy but in actual fact he's pretty bland throughout the whole thing yeah uh, none of them apart from eleanor really come over badly i would say like the doctor's wife is a bit of a force of nature and arthur might be 
quite a dour personality. <laughs> but beyond that, like I, I didn't, I don't feel any kind of revulsion towards the characters. They just sort of seem to be pieces on the board, right? Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I was just—I had a rapid train of thought um, because I've been playing the um, Arkham Asylum uh, game on on PC. I never played it, and uh, so in that game, you have sort of this like huge cast of like all the um, all the Batman villains. And I was thinking, like in every movie um, that Scarecrow has ever appeared in as a villain. I have enjoyed him immensely because you're never clear on whether, you know, whatever's happening is a hallucination or, or real life. And in that video game, it's, it's, it's especially interesting, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I was just, like I said, a rapid train of thought, but so much of, um, of like comic book stuff then, is so like clearly explained and scarecrow i guess to to a degree as well but i think you know getting poisoned and then not being able to to determine reality from you know sort of your own um your own mind is one of the most terrifying things to me like i would be my my nightmare would be like you know being in a in a coma or like you know, being fully paralyzed or something and not being able to communicate and being like trapped in my own mind. Um, that to me is the scariest thing in the world. So I think I connected with the the psychological stuff with Eleanor because I, I find that personally just so deeply scary. I, I agree. That's why I was so freaked out with the overstory and uh, yeah, not what's the name of the guy who's bed bound? Uh, Ray. Yeah, because that's my that's my kind of worst nightmare. Um, yeah. In terms of Eleanor, too, like I really like an unreliable narrator. Uh-huh. I mean, we we not on the podcast, but extensively have talked about Julian Barnes talking it over and love, etc. Now, yeah. I really like getting to Great. see one event from multiple different angles and mm-hmm. having the shape of that event change depending on the eyes on it. Yeah. Um. And yeah, there's something there's something about an unreliable narrator that just makes the story so much more enjoyable to read, you know? Yeah, for sure. And um, uh just... who who's the eccentric character in that? His his best friend? Um Wait, Julian? Yeah. Is that was that his name? Yes, yeah, Julian. In love in no. love, etc. That that was that was what I thought too, but then I was like, is it? Yeah, I think it's Julian. Yeah. But I found oh, him so fascinating because he is just this erratic, you know, this oh, yeah. guy, and, and you kind of never knew what he was going to say or do, and you got that through all the other characters' perspectives in that book. I think we have an episode on that one, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think you guys read that, and that was, that was fantastic. Um, there's a line in I think it's Love, etc when Julian is depressed and he's lying in bed Mm -hmm. and his partner comes in to talk to him and he says, uh, he says, at least I'm not in the fetal position. (laughs) And I, I, whenever I get depressed, I think about that, like a little silver (laughs) lining. At least I'm not in the fetal position. It could be, it could be worse. It could be worse. It could be worse. 
you know, so to everyone out there not feeling their most cheerful, at least you're not in the fetal. This is true. Hopefully, but if you not. are in the fetal position, I apologize for putting the boot in. It was really uncalled for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hopefully, nobody's sitting at home just like, oh, God, that's me. <laughs> How terrible. Okay, so I will give you a question and then I will I will answer it while you think about it. But okay. um have you ever had like a, a a scary experience like this? Do you have a, a personal ghost story from childhood? Right. And so I was I was thinking about this because um we recently took the students on a hike to to Italy and the first night that we were there uh, there was an owl came over our, our camp, picked up a rabbit and was ripping it apart. So you just hear this squealing rabbit in the dead of night. And then there was a, a stag um, that was that was running around making these these awful, awful sounds. And uh, so the next morning we're we're chatting about it. And then the and everybody was freaked out. And then that night. Um, we started exchanging ghost stories and here on our campus, the, the founder of the school lived, um, to be, uh, I don't know, probably 80 something, maybe, maybe even older. Um, but he died in a building on campus and, uh, there are all these ghost stories, um, about like him haunting campus. And there's one in particular, there's a bathroom, um, across from, uh, his, where he died, and students have uh, stories about being in that bathroom and the door will like lock or unlock and, and jiggle. And uh, <laughs> one of the current students told a story that she was down in the bottom of this house and uh, she was playing piano and uh, she was she was practicing and she had screwed up a line. She comes out and closes the door to this practice room. There's no other way in. And uh, she hears the piano playing. And she heard the same mistake. And there were there was another student that came down and, and heard it as well. And they were super freaked out. They won't go down. There <laughs> <laughs> so we have we have some ghost stories on campus. I I don't remember um, any ghost stories from like when I was a kid. I, I always got freaked out in the woods and stuff. Um, but now the students have been asking, um, can we do this? this thing we have this like intensive week project where we put courses on on pause and uh we do like just one project really intensely for for a, a single week and so i think next year i might do like a chronicling of the the ghost stories at our school look into like <laughs> paranormal investigations and then do like a sleepover in the the office um where where he died is still like all his stuff it's kept exactly the way it was Oh, oh, make him sorry. sleep in the office. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. Wherever he died. That's yeah, yeah. So that's that's my plan for for next fall is to is to do this. So, um, do you have any any personal ghost stories? So I don't really remember any ghost stories from like when I was a nipper or anything like that. But I'll tell you one thing that happened that really freaked me out, which was um, when. Christina, my wife and I, we went on our honeymoon. We went mm -hmm. to Costa Rica. Um, so we stayed in Costa Rica, and we had the chance to do like a real early morning tour. Cool. Um, so we booked onto it, and I mean, I think we were outside the, like we were staying in like an apartment. We're outside the gate at like 
five o'clock in the morning, something like that. Like it was an early start. Whoa. And um, so it's pitch black, but obviously it's Costa Rica, so it's warm and it's humid. And yep. It's you know it's quite nice actually. Like, and we're out, <laughs> st- stood in the dark, and I can suddenly hear, well, both of us can hear this fucking horrifying sound. Like, it is one of the weirdest sounds I've ever heard. And it sounds like someone's screeching or like a ghoul or... It it, it reminded me of, like, zombie noises from films that I've watched. I thought someone was being attacked in a house nearby or something. Anyway, so we're we're waiting, waiting, waiting. We're outside the gate. And uh, eventually Christina's like, uh, fuck this. I'm going to (laughs) wait inside. (laughs) So she went back into our little apartment bit. I'm stood outside by the gate. And it, it, it really starts, you know, when you're on your own, do it really start to get oh, yeah. great a little bit. I was like, oh my God, we're going to have to like, what am I doing? Who do I talk to? Do I tell the like <laughs> the apartment owner? Do I knock on their door? And I'm like, someone is being murdered like a couple of streets away. It's fucking horrific. Anyway, the long story short, I, I end up, I'm outside the gate still, but I've got it like on the latch so yeah. I could just run back in if I needed to because I had really got in my own head. <laughs> Long story short, uh, our guy drives up, he picks us up. Uh, I'm like, mate, what is that fucking noise? And he looks at me like I'm a complete moron and he's like, Howler monkeys. <laughs> it's howler monkeys, that's all it is. They're just out there having this freak out. And I, to me, that is, I think, to every ridiculous ghost story I've ever heard, there is a logical conclusion. And that yeah. is that it's howler monkeys or other <laughs> other monkeys out there in the world. <laughs> Foxes also make horrific noises. And I didn't yeah, know that until I moved here. Yeah, don't they? Like, but no, this howler monkey was like nothing I've ever heard. It freaked me out. Man. Wow. That would be freaky. <laughs> Especially, yeah, like, because that's... A jungly country. I don't. I don't know where you were at that point, but oh uh, yeah, we were. I mean, it was jungly enough that I felt scared. <laughs> yeah, we should do the thing with the shelf and the and the book and the the, stuff. And the point and the yeah. whole yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is my choice, so I can I can go first. You go first. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This is a top shelf book for me. I think. Oh. I think this was. This was really entertaining. It was a a good read for like the spooky season, and. I, th- I think it it stands up really well for being what seventy years old now, um, just yeah. about like it, it really it really was entertaining. It f- it felt um, like original, and you can see how like you said it it influences everything that that came after it. I I will definitely read um, the lottery, um, her short story, and then yeah, I I, I thought I thought it was great. Really didn't expect okay. to love it. I, I'm coming in slightly differently. I I enjoyed it. It was fine. It just not. I just I didn't super love it. So okay, I'm I'm probably middle shelf. Like Ooh. I would recommend it to someone else who was interested in learning more about horror. Yeah, but to me, this is probably uh, uh, without <laughs> without opening old wounds, Ryan. <laughs> this is probably where I would have put foundation in the same sense that yeah, I think it's like a great beginning archetypal genre story, mm-hmm. but I don't think that there was enough there. And I think things have kind of moved on a lot where 
I, I just didn't, I don't love those kind of stories. I read them because I want to have my foundation, yeah. no pun intended, in the genre, but uh-huh. I don't read them. I wouldn't reread them because I don't think they're that great. Um, Interesting. Which is strange because I know how beloved this story is, but it just just didn't do it. For- wow. Yeah, I I totally disagree with you. Like genuinely, hey, we this, got there. This, we got there. We didn't have to manufacture it. I would definitely reread this book. I mean, the only reason I'd reread it is because it is quite slim, but it's easy to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, what 170 pages, maybe. Yeah, nothing, nothing too much to handle, was it? You got next pick. Okay, so next time, this is my pick. And because I'm interested to see, you know, this is a classic story, mm-hmm. the, the Haunting of Hill House. Um, so what we're going to read is what I hope will be a modern kind of interpretation slash building on of this type of story. Okay. It's called Tell Me I'm Worthless by Alison Rumfit. Okay. Um, and we will be giving that a go. And uh, comparing and contrasting, hopefully, that with this. Mm. Interesting. I don't know this this one at all, but um... I, I I know so little about. Again, because we're not horror boys. Um, it, this is this is a recommendation that I found um, through a, a Twitter feed, actually. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, this could be. This could be really good or really, really bad. We'll really, really bad. Yeah, <laughs> it could be really, really bad. Yeah. That's exciting. Awesome. All right. We'll continue with that then. So uh, next episode, episode 63, will be Tell Me I'm Worthless. Please don't tell me I'm worthless, but the book <laughs> Tell Me I'm Worthless by Alison Rumfit. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode, and until next time. Take care, everyone.